life? I mean, truly happy? If I asked you to define what a truly happy life looks like, could you do it? I'm starting the conversation about what it means to be truly happy from within and why things that you think create your happiness from outside of yourself are actually not what creates a truly happy life. So grab your cup of tea, sit back and chat with me. I've missed you. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Happiness Workshop Podcast, where we know that happiness is a workshop. I'm so happy to be back with you this week. If you follow Women Finding Clarity on social media, you've probably noticed that I was out of town and that we had family visiting from London and France. I was basically out of office for three weeks, but what an amazing three weeks it was. I got to spend time with family from Maryland, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Hawaii, Delaware, North Carolina, London, England, Bordeaux, France, and Montpellier, France. That's a lot. It's a lot of family. One really exciting thing that made my heart so full was that my cousins from France brought a DVD that they had created for us from old movies. So I got to see my grandmother on her trip back to visit her family in France from 1968. She was so young, just so different than I remember her. It was oh, mesmerizing. A few years back, I took a road trip through France with my cousins and my sister, and we were able to go see the house in Mobec, France, where my great-grandparents lived. So this was also the house in the videos. So watching the video felt surreal, like somehow I was in that present moment, but also transported back, and I was in those moments that I was watching on the video. I don't know how else to explain the feeling. I have a bookcase that my great-grandfather built in France with the wood from my grandmother's piano. So to see that bookcase inside the house in Mobec was thrilling. And it also made an already treasured piece of family history even more meaningful. The past three weeks were a beautiful moment in time for me, and I wish that for all of you. Beautiful moments in time that make you sit up and take notice. Moments that take your breath away while also filling your heart. If you have a moment in your life that has done just that, I'd love to hear about it. Sharing our hearts is a beautiful way of raising the collective vibration of the universe. Now, before I introduce my guest for this evening, I want to invite you to visit my website, womenfindingclarity.com, and subscribe to my newsletter if you haven't already done so. I have some very exciting things coming up that you won't want to miss. I'll put a link directly to Women Finding Clarity in show notes where you can subscribe from the pop-up window. I cannot wait to see you in my mailbox. This week, I sat down with a special guest whose work is quite different from mine, but also very similar in so many ways. 
Maria Rieger is an author, parenting coach, and speaker who specializes in reparenting and creating strong family attachments. A rocky childhood involving the death of a parent and a narcissistic abuse led Maria to consider how to be a better parent in a crazy world. In short, more laughs and positive connections and less dictating and criticizing. Parents should parent with the child's particular needs in mind rather than the parent's ego needs. An irreverent Gen Xer, in addition to parenting books, Maria writes gritty contemporary romance and romantic suspense with plenty of sarcasm. Without further ado, welcome to the workshop, Maria Rieger. Hello, Maria, and welcome to the Happiness Workshop podcast. Thank you, Pascal, for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you guys today. I'm so excited to have you here. We were just talking before we hit record that, you know, we had such a great conversation the first time. And so I'm really excited now to loop in the listeners and bring all your amazingness to everyone, both, you know, this week for everyone who tunes in this week, but also in the future, because I feel like your wisdom is timeless. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. I really appreciate you being here. This is amazing. And so what we're talking about today, really your forte is um, working with parents and parents and children. But what I wanted to bring is how parents can connect to young adult children and relate to their adult children. And this really resonates for me because this is the point in life where I am right now. Sure. Um, so when I coach parents, they typically come to me when their kids are in the adolescent or teen years, because that is when kids, which is developmentally normal, when kids are first really exercising their independence and separateness from the parents. And if the parents had are, had an easier relationship prior to these years, sometimes there is some friction. Now, it's totally normal for the kids to seek more dependence, have different wants and needs from the parents. But if the, but if the parents have been helicoptering a lot or have been a little bit of controlling, they feel like they're losing control or giving up some control, it's a little uncomfortable. Or when the kids start doing things that the parents think, oh, I don't think this is a good idea, their relationship becomes, you know, has a little more friction to it. So, and of course, this can continue into young adulthood and adulthood when the kids leave the house. So it's hard to do, but parents really need to start respecting the child's independence starting, starting at the adolescent and teen years and onward. And one thing I hear from adult children a lot is that the parents still treat them as if they're little kids. And the parents don't recognize their separateness. They are separate sovereign beings from the parents with different wants, needs, ways of approaching life, different things that they need to seek personal fulfillment. So that's kind of the biggest thing is that I tell parents, got to respect the kids' independence. And when you're interacting with them and kind of telling them what to do, so to speak, it should come more from a place of guidance and helpfulness than dictating to them, you need to do this, you need to do that, okay? The, the relationship will be easier if, you, if the parent approaches more from a place of guidance. Like, I can help you with this if you need help, or I can share with you some things that have worked for me or worked for others in the past. 
but this decision is ultimately up to you. And also, you know, parents who helicopter too much and are telling the kids what to do all the time, um, you're handicapping the kids because eventually they're going to grow up, they're going to leave the house, and they're not going to have the parent there telling them what to do all the time. Some, sometimes, every children is every child is different. Sometimes kids find it easier to give up the their autonomy to the parent because it's tough to make decisions, right? As they get older and naturally start to navigate the world, and they'll give up that autonomy to the parent because it's easier but the parent is not always there. And at some point the kids are gonna to have to make decisions on their own. And you certainly don't want an adult to be abdicating their autonomy to other people all the time because those other people may not have that, that adult's best interest at heart. So it's really about fostering their independence from this, you call it attachment psychology, from this secure base, this stable secure base, knowing the parents are there to help and to guide if the, if the older children need it but also respecting their independence and their ways of doing things and respecting the fact that they're going to make mistakes and you need to let them make mistakes. Right. You just said so much. <laughs> and if everything you said could just be tied up in a nice little bow and we could just deliver it to parents when their babies are born, there would be happy households across the world. Right. Yes. And so I hear over and over again, I've said it to my own children, you know, when you were born, we weren't given an owner's manual and this is how it works, right? This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And so we really are flying by the seat of our pants and doing the best with what we have. My mm -hmm. oldest is my daughter and she calls herself the, um, the practice child. And truly, I mean, that's, she is right. And yeah, pretty amazingly. So I'm like, yay. But also where do you find the fine line between giving them their autonomy and allowing them to do whatever they want? Mm -hmm. Right. Because the autonomy and a good balance clearly is going to have a happier feeling in the household but letting them do whatever they want, not so much. And so where's the balance? How do you strike the difference? Right. So when kids, we're talking about mostly adolescents and teens. So it's totally reasonable to have rules in the household. Okay. And those rules are typically around, you know, safety, well-being, health, things like that, physical and emotional health, maybe go to bed by a certain time, or at least all screens off by a certain time. You really can't force somebody else to sleep, but at least all screens off at a certain time or teeth brushed, whatever. Uh, but the rules should be for those things like health, safety, things like that. Um, I, I, I use a, a test with myself. And if I find my, my son is a teenager now. So if I find myself really kind of, uh, sticking to my guns and wanting him to do something, I ask myself, why do I want him to do this right now? And if the only reason I can come up with is because I want him to do it right now, to me, that is too controlling. If there is not some other reasonable explanation for why he needs to do this, there, why am I having, you know, why am I forcing him to do it essentially? So um, that's what I would say about that. Also, it is very tough for parents to like let their kids fail, 
by the subject of grades, which I live in a hyper-competitive area outside of the Washington, D.C. area, um, where a lot of parents focus on grades, get the right grades, get the right schools, and things like this. So with the subject of grades, for example, parents really tend to helicopter, at least where I live, on the subject of grades and getting your work done. Okay, but at the end of the day, you can guide your kid and tell them, hey, these are the possible consequences if you get bad grades or if you fail a class or here are the consequences. Now, you kind of have to let them deal with the consequences. Natural consequences is the best teacher. It's a way better teacher than parent-imposed consequences. And I'm not saying necessarily that I don't ever agree with parent-imposed consequences. I do not impose uh, we call them logical consequences, not natural consequences. I don't impose logical consequences at all. I let natural consequences teach my kid. That is the best teacher. The kids learn on the mo on their own, right? So, um, and I tell parents, it's fine to have no bargain issues, usually around safety or maybe what's appropriate to watch or games to play or things like that. You can have your no bargain rules. These are my rules. This is this is it, and you know you can hold fast on those. Um, but again, ask yourself, why am I implementing this rule? Is there a reason for it? Or is it just because I like to have control? Yeah, I love that very much. And this, you know, using natural consequences, I love that as well, because they listen to someone else before they listen to you in most cases, right? Mm -hmm. As the parent and their best teacher is the natural consequence. You don't have to say, guess what? If you jump off the roof, you're probably gonna break your arm or your leg or your back. If they, I mean, that's a pretty extreme example, but let's just say jump out of a tree, right? You're probably gonna break your arm. They're not gonna believe you because they feel like they're invincible. And so, okay, you don't believe me? See what happens. Right. And you do end up in the emergency room, unfortunately, right. but, um, yeah, natural consequences, because there's not that push and pull of who's in control, right? Right. It's just the rule of nature. Exactly. Yeah. And um, also, I tell parents, focus, instead of focusing on the rules and telling the kids what to do and getting, getting the kids to do something, I get that question a lot. How do I get my kids to do this? Focus on the attachment and connection with the kids. Because what happens is when kids feel strongly attached to the parents, they feel they have a stable, secure base at home. They feel the parents are, they can trust the parents with their you know, secrets or telling them things. They can trust the parents will fight for them, have their back. They'll cooperate naturally because of the relationship, right? Um, so that's what I find too is, and this is, this is good news for parents because you really cannot change other people, but you can change yourself. So a lot of it is about changing the parents, how the parents interact with the kids and focus and the changing the focus as well. The focus is on, or should be on creating the attachment, creating this connection with the kids and almost everything else flows logically from the attachment. So a lot of that is changing how the parents show up with the kids, how they interact with the kids, especially when they're older, young adult children and such. Yeah. So for me, you know, looking ahead, my kids are a little older and 2019 and 17, I can't even believe it. I feel like they're wow. still eight, seven and five. Um, but I mean, I feel like we've done a great job and I don't know, maybe 
I feel like it's okay to pat ourselves on the back and be like, you know, we have raised some pretty amazing human beings. That said, it's all come with its own trials and tribulations, right? We haven't done everything perfect. Um, One of the things that's so important in our household is communication. Mm -hmm. And so what that means when I say it is that, listen, I'm going to be very honest with you and tell you why I don't like what you're doing. I still love you so very much, but I don't like what you're doing at all. Here are the reasons why this is, you know, what I think should happen next. Then I welcome them to come back and say, mom, that wasn't what I saw happening at all. And furthermore, X, Y, and Z. And it's a communication. Are there tears sometimes? Yes. Are they often from my eyes and sometimes from theirs? Yes. But that's a life skill, right? And I don't know. I just feel like that is... For me, what's most important was number one, they knew that above anything else, they're loved Mm -hmm. and we would always be here. And number two, that they have open communication with us and felt safe to say anything they wanted to say respectfully. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. I, um, I've said before, if a child cannot say no respectfully to their own parents, who can they say no to? Mm. I think children should be able to say anything to the parents respectfully. It's okay to say, hey, can you try that again, please? Because I feel a little bit disrespected right now because of your tone or the words you use. Could you please try again without, you know, trying to make them feel bad about it or punishing? Just, hey, let's try that again. I understand emotions are high right now. Or sometimes you'll have to say, I think we're both a little heated right now. Let's take a break. And when we calm down, we'll talk about this, right? But Absolutely. To your point, Pascal, communication has to be open. And if the kids feel that they can come to the parents, the kids feel comfortable coming to the parents to talk about anything. The parents are doing a good job because the parents have created, you know, made clear that they are the safe space for the child. The child can tell them anything. They will not love the child any less. Doesn't matter what they do or say, just like you said, very important. They will not love them any less and that they will help them with whatever they need help with. So yeah, all that's very important. And that sets the kids up for healthy relationships and healthy communication relationships as they get older. So yeah, all that's super, super important. So that's exactly what is on my mind as I'm listening to you talk is everything that we're talking about up to this point, it's not just about parents and children. It's about social relationships, emotion, you know, uh, romantic relationships, work relationships, you know, your relationship with your boss, or if you are the boss, your relationship with your employees, all of it, everything in life, we could be talking about any of those things with what we're talking about here now. Right. Exactly. I mean, if kids are taught to comply without talking back, and I'm using air quotes for talking back because I don't believe in, I don't call it talking back, I just call it self-advocating. If kids are not allowed to self-advocate, if kids are taught to comply when they get older and become involved in a romantic relationship, they're gonna feel like they do not have the right or ability to self-advocate in a relationship that's obviously not healthy because they will be encouraged to or feel that they need to subjugate their own needs always. And that is obviously not healthy. You want them to be able to 
self-advocate, speak up for themselves respectfully with the parents, right? And sometimes, you know, the parents will say something and then the kids will come back and have this discussion and the parents, myself included, will think, well, actually, you know, I think you're right about that. Or, you know, you've, you've, because of what you said, I'm thinking about this a little differently. And maybe I was a little quick to judge or speak about this. Let me think about this some more, or maybe, maybe we can work out some kind of compromise here. Right. And that's, that's healthy because you're having a discussion, which as you just said, helps them, you know, hone those abilities to later have those healthy communication dynamics in their adult relationships. As you're talking about that, I'm sitting here smiling because I'm thinking about my youngest son and we always say he should be a lawyer because he can talk anybody around until they agree with him. And part of this communication is allowing them to tell us why they disagree with our judgment Mm -hmm. or what we say or what the rule is. And one day, and I can't even remember what the situation was, I took away all devices no TV, no, he had an iPod at that time. And maybe there was a family iPad. I don't remember. He lost all of it. Mm. Two hours later, Maria, I'm not even kidding. Two hours later, I'm like, you know what, buddy? You're right. I see what you're saying. You can have all your devices back moving forward, X, Y, and Z. Uh, He literally for two hours. And it wasn't that I just got tired of it and gave up. Mm -hmm. I really saw his point and I right. was like, you know what? You're right. Here you go. I'm sorry. That that's, it's really great that a parent like that, you know, in your position can apologize because that's, I mean, it's very important that kids see that parents apologize, like sincerely apologize. And that's a great model for them. And also I think, the best parents are those that are constantly assessing their parenting. Like, did I hand thinking, did I handle this correctly? Or maybe I could have handled this a little bit better or what could I have done to maybe avoid this situation? Or what could I have done to avoid losing my cool in this situation? They're always thinking about how I can be a better parent and they're assessing their, their behavior and their parenting skills. And that's all legit. And I love that because what I don't like to see is a parent that thinks I have seen this, unfortunately. I, there's nothing I can learn. My way is right, and all everybody else's way is wrong, and that's it. Well, no, we're all learning, right, all the time. Parents, kids, and parents can learn from kids. I had this discussion somebody, with uh, somebody the other day. Parents can learn from kids, too. So parents should be opening, open to learning from their kids, right? Um, so, yeah, all, all good stuff. I, something I wanted to mention earlier, Pascal, when you were talking about taking guidance from parents, and sometimes kids, as they get older, want to take a little less guidance from parents. Another way that parents can guide kids sometimes is if the kids have questions about things, take them to a third-party expert. Like if your son, your teenage son has questions about working out and weightlifting, they may not take guidance from the parents, but they'll take guidance from a personal trainer or a nutritionist. So these are great ways to kind of get them to the guidance they need, right? Get them to follow the guidance they need. But it also, you can kind of, um, you can kind of delegate that responsibility to this third party expert, right? So the parent now doesn't have to worry about it. So those are also things you can do. Or if they have a medical question, well, I'm not sure, but let's go ask your doctor, right? And sometimes older kids, right? Teenagers, young adult children are more inclined to take guidance from those experts 
because it's coming from this expert, not the parent. The parent's sometimes too close to the kids, right? And at this stage in the childhood development, kids are also exercising the counter will, which is a completely normal stage of, count of uh, childhood development, but they become a lot more resistant to the parent because they are asserting their own independence and individuality, which is normal, but parents, myself included, get a lot, get frustrated a lot of the time, but that that is a normal stage of childhood development. Yeah, wow. I feel like everything you said is just, you know, like, oh, there's a mic drop, there's a mic drop, you know, because again, we're all just figuring it out as we go. And it is all figure outable. And I love that you brought in outside experts into the conversation because we don't know everything. My kids right. love to go to the gym. I can't help them with weightlifting. I can't help them with micro and macronutrients. And I mean, I could research it and do my own education, but I, yeah, yeah. I love this idea of bringing in outside experts. Um, I've offered my kids to go to therapy. I've offered them to go to a life coach and only one of the three took me up on it. But I love that. Like, why not get outside perspective? That's different from mom. And, you know, when you're choosing who you want your child to see, do you have any guidelines on that? Because my biggest guideline when I said, oh, I have a friend who's a life coach, was mm -hmm. that I resonated with her values. And so do you have any other guidelines if you're saying bring in outside experts? Sure. Definitely. You want to make sure somebody you trust, somebody who's credentialed, for example, a medical question, a physical doctor or mental health provider. Um, if you're talking about weightlifting, as we're mentioning, a certified personal trainer, maybe somebody you know personally have worked with personally or a certified nutritionist. And you can go to sessions with your kids or to medical appointments with your kids. Obviously, if they're older and they want more privacy, that's you should respect that, respect their privacy. That's another big issue of mine is privacy in the home with, with as the kids get older. So definitely, definitely make sure they're credentialed. Maybe somebody you know personally have worked with personally or referred. A lot of it depends on the type of expert guidance you're seeking, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I interviewed somebody recently for my YouTube uh, channel. That interview is forthcoming. Uh, she's a writing coach that helps kids with their personal essays and their persuasive writing and their college essays. And she loves to nurture that creativity. And she said the kids seem to be way more receptive to her coaching their writing than their parents, having their parents coach their writing. And sometimes they don't want to share their writing with the parents because it's very personal to them. And she, you know, impressed upon the kids that you have something to say, even if you're only 12 or 15 or 18 or 20, you still have important things to say and to share with the world. And I thought that's just a great empowering way to develop kids and their creative abilities. And I love that. So as a writer myself, that was, I was really heartened to hear that. Yeah, I love that so very much. I can't even wait to hear that conversation. Um, I think writing is one of those things that you should start kids doing very early, mm -hmm. even if it's just write down the feeling that you're feeling right now. What caused you, you know, give them a little bit of guidance, but 
so much mental and emotional well-being can come from writing. And I think oftentimes we call it journaling. And so, right. you know, that can feel very sexist one where, you know, boys don't journal. It's not true, right? You can mm-hmm. just call it writing or free writing. Right. And it's just so valuable. It's a life skill to carry with you always. Absolutely. Right. And it can be a very good therapeutic exercise, getting the words out on paper, even if you're not ready to share them with another person, whether your parent or someone else, getting them out on paper can be a therapeutic exercise in and of itself. So, and there doesn't have to be any structure to the writing. Like you said, it could just be free writing. It could be essay format. It could just be some thoughts you had that day or in a notes app on your phone. So yeah, really, really good skill to help kids develop, especially for kids who show an affinity for it, an affinity for reading and writing, excellent thing to develop early on for sure. For sure. And I had someone tell me once that in communication with their child, they had a notebook. And so, you know, if the, if the child was experiencing a difficulty with the parent, they could write it in the notebook and leave it say on the landing at the top of the stairs. And then the mom could open it up and read it and then write something back to the child. And so that's even a great way. I don't know if this is something you've done, but that just came into my head, that memory of that was their form of communication. So it felt safer. And I know for me in the moment, I forget what I want to say. And so writing, writing it out very much for me helps me get out what I want to say completely and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you can, once you've written that down, you've kind of freed up that space in your mind for other things. You don't have to worry about remembering it or possibly forgetting it because you've written it down. Absolutely. I do that too. (laughs) I love it. So, you know, we're talking about outside experts and we're talking about writing as tools and all these different tools. And I know that you're very into um, astrology. And so how does that come into your business? I'm so interested in astrology. I know nothing except for (laughs) that I'm an Aries. Aries. I love Aries parents. Actually, I say this on my channel, my YouTube channel a lot. I love Aries parents because they are always fighting for and advocating for their kids. I love it. And I love to see that. I wish I saw more of that. Uh, So shout out to Aries parents. So I've been studying astrology uh, my entire life. And I came to the conclusion that there was merit in studying um, specifically the energies of the birth chart. So the birth chart is a snapshot of the position of the planets at the moment of an individual's birth. So by looking at your birth chart, can understand a lot about yourself, um, how you approach life, how you make decisions or the filter through which you make decisions, how you show up in one-to-one relationships, how you learn, retain and process information, what you need to recharge your energy, what you need to feel emotionally safe, these kind of things. So um, I, I really started studying astrology seriously when I was on my own reparenting journey after childhood abuse and um, which kind of was accelerated by having my own child and thinking, wow, I really need to look at how I parent and I need to work on my own healing so I can be a better parent to this child. So in talking to other adults similarly situated to me, I found out that a lot of us, because we had had spent so much of our childhood and young adulthood 
pretending to be something we weren't in order to appease other people, mostly our parents, that a lot of us didn't really know who we were. We weren't really familiar with our authentic selves, who we were, what our values were, what we needed to feel emotionally safe, what we needed to feel personally fulfilled. And the birth chart was kind of a great modality, one of many modalities to understand your individual authentic self, right? And when I do astrology readings and birth chart readings for parents, they're always surprised at how much the reading resonates with, with their experience. And they feel very validated, like, yes, this is who I was. I was completely misunderstood as a child. This is what I needed, and this is what I didn't get. And in the essence, they're giving themselves permission to kind of embrace their authentic selves and then move forward from there. So it was a great modality for self-learning and self-knowledge. And then when you look at your birth chart in conjunction with someone else's, a child, a romantic partner, a friend, a family member, you get an idea of the dynamics of the relationship. So when I do parent-child readings, a lot of it is about the child's chart, what that child needs, how that child approaches life, how that may be different from the parent, right? And it also reinforces this idea of the child being a separate sovereign being from the parent with their own life path, their own wants and needs, their own ways of seeking fulfillment. My son is very different from me, very similar in some ways and other ways very different. And I have to honor and respect that, that he has different needs from me and that's fine. It's not my business or it's not my, my job to impose my needs on him or what I think needs should be, right? That's, that's for me to decide for myself. So um, it is a very useful modality for all of those reasons. Yeah, in the reparenting process and then the parenting process. And I have a pretty active community on YouTube where um, I'll, I take requests from members about videos they wanna see about different energies and combination of energies. And it's very validating because I get parents a lot thinking, wow, this is what I needed as a kid, but I didn't get this. I feel very validated by watching your videos. I feel like seen and heard. And that to me is very gratifying and that you're helping people kind of come to terms with and giving themselves permission to be their true selves. You're allowing people to, you're giving them the space to reflect inwardly and have a greater understanding of themselves so they can create a greater understanding with their child. Right. In turn, creating a better relationship, right? A happier home, a happier mm -hmm. relationship. That is so beautiful. That's, if I had to summarize this whole conversation, that's what it is. Yeah. You are allowing the inward reflection to gain understanding, mm -hmm. to cultivate understanding in the relationship and a happier household. That right. is so beautiful, so powerful. Um, it's interesting to me, this idea of astrological birth chart versus birth order. Mm -hmm. Because as you were talking, I'm like, wow, I really like, okay, my daughter is first and she's a girl and she's the oldest. And so she was the caretaker. And now I'm like, I want to know what astrologically right. is in alignment with her that right. makes that so not right. just the fact that she was born first and is a female. Right. right. That was my situation too. The oldest 
of three kids and, you know, I have a younger sister, but I was the oldest and a girl. So it was the very much the same dynamic being the caretaker. And in some ways I didn't have much of a childhood for other reasons as well, but because I was always having to take care of the younger ones. Right. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough because you do miss out on so much of your childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I watch, I don't watch, but I see those shows like 18 kids and counting and all that. And I think those oldest, the older half of the children. Yeah. Get a childhood. They're mothering and fathering their parenting. Right. From, from the get-go. Right. Right. And it's also unhealthy. Absolutely. And I think it's great for kids to have age appropriate responsibilities in the home. You're helping the team. You're reinforcing the family unit. It's empowering the kids do these on things on their home, but that's the key age appropriate and without parentifying, as you just said, Pascal, without parentifying the kids. Helping with younger siblings, no, but parentifying or or taking on adult level responsibility is, is too much, right? It's funny, I because you think about, you're mentioning about kids who kind of miss out on childhood. Um, I feel almost like I got a second childhood when I had my son because I love to just have fun in the relationship. And that's one thing I tell parents is, when the relationship, the attachment is strong, like you said, that household overall is happier and you can have more fun. You can relax and have fun. Kids love to have fun with parents. They love making the parents laugh. It makes them feel good. It's bonding. I love that. So I encourage parents, do things with the kids where there's no pressure to do anything. You're just having a good time. You're just hanging out or watching a show together. It can be as simple as that without any like gold to be reached. It's, you're just occupying the same space. That It's amazing to me how bonding that is just by itself, right? Just spending time together. So um, that's something I encourage parents to do is to make that time for the kids. If you have multiple kids, as you do, it's harder to do one-on-one, but you can do them as a group, right? And then later, once in a while, do have that time one-on-one with the kids. So really important. Yeah. And with multiple kids, what we used to do is we would take them out every month or so for date night or date day. We would go on a date. So it would be just me and my son or myself and my daughter. Um, And we found that to be very important because they did feel special and they did enjoy that one-on-one time. What advice do you have for parents who maybe they work two jobs and they don't, because that's so normal now yeah. where both parents work outside of the home and the kids are in daycare or in school. And then yeah. after care, what other tips or advice do you have for those parents to really nurture that relationship and that one-on-one time if there's not a lot of time? Right. Absolutely. Definitely make sure the time you spend with your kids is quality time where you are focused on each other. You're not doing something with your kid and on your phone, or you're not checking email on the computer or watching something. And while you're interacting with your kid, you want to make sure you are focusing on your child, making eye contact, uh, responding to questions, asking them questions and having a real quality interaction with them. And it's okay if we're all busy, like I get it. um, Not everyone is privileged to have a lot of free time or unstructured time with the kids. And, but just make sure that the time you spend with them is that quality time where they're getting one-on-one attention from the parents. Because as kids get older, if they don't get attention and attachment from the parents, they're gonna get it elsewhere with 
people that do not have their best interest at heart, whether they're peers or other adults. And that's something you obviously want to avoid. So make sure when the kids are younger, that that time is quality time where you are focused on the child. The child knows they are important to you. Right. So that's my like number one advice regarding that. Mm, I love that. And so then that brings me right back around to what about how we started out talking about older teens and young mm-hmm. adult children, what if you didn't have the best relationship with your child as they were growing up and now you want to be more cognizant and try to foster that? Where do you go from here? Right. Well, it's fine to sit down with the child one-on-one and bring these things up. In fact, just as you said, I realize that maybe I haven't always been handling things correctly or in a productive way or in a way that you needed. And I'd like to know what you think about our relationship and see what they say. And once you create the space, you may be very surprised to hear, you know, to hear that they do want a relationship. They do want attachment. It's funny because older kids, they don't always come and say, Hey, I, they're not going to say, I feel disconnected from you. We need to do something about this. It's very rare, right? Right. And they're going to be oppositional. They're going to scoff. And instead of you, instead of the parent, you know, showing displeasure and just kind of ignoring them, we're thinking that's a common thing. The parent thinks, well, they just want to be alone all the time. So I'm going to leave them alone all the time. No, you need to start, you know, making time for them and saying, we're going to go out, you know, to eat just you and me. And if they say like, oh, no, I don't want to scoff. Or, oh, I don't know if I want to. Well, we're going to go and it's not going to take that long. Or we're going to go try this activity. And if you don't like it, we don't have to do this activity again, but we're going to try it, right? And once you get the kids kind of outside of the home environment in a new environment, they, they're very different. It's interesting because like when we travel, the experience is very different than when we're at home interacting because they're out of their element and they're seeing new things, right? But it's very important that the kids feel worthy of their parents' time. So when kids get older and seem to want a lot of alone time and giving them alone time is great, giving them privacy is great, but also don't forget to schedule time with the kids. Make sure that you are spending time with them and and asking them those open-ended questions. What do you think about school? Or what do you think about if they're applying for colleges? What do you think about this whole experience? Or is there anything I can do to help you or make this process easier, right? Not helicoptering, but asking those questions or if there's anything you want to talk to me about, I am always here. Just let me know. And if I'm in the middle of something, I will finish it up and we can talk. But just knowing that you are there for them. That's kind of the most important thing, I think, when kids get older, knowing that you are there for them if they need you and otherwise to kind of respect their independence. Yeah, it's that's tough. I mean, it's tough navigating that. When, and I tell parents, if you have any doubts about what you should be doing, you should be focusing on the attachment and focusing on keeping lines of communication open. So in case anybody didn't just catch that, that was her hottest two tips from the whole conversation. Focus on healthy attachment with your child and focus on healthy communication. Right. And everything else just starts to fall into place. That's right. Mic drop. I love talking to you because I feel like I am not always the best at getting my thought out, 
or having the, the right words for what it is I'm trying to say. And so I stammer through everything I'm trying to say. And then you say, so in summary, this is what that's called, you know, like not actually, but you really have a great way of just summarizing it and pulling it all together. Thank you very much. I, um, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent and I always try to keep the big picture in mind. And when I find myself getting too bogged down in details, I think, okay, big picture is I need to maintain lines of communication open or I need to maintain the attachment. Maybe I should back off on this for today and think about maybe how I can approach this in a better way or in a more productive way or in a way where my kid is a little bit more receptive, for example. Yeah. I'll tell you, have a baby. Oh, have a baby. Nobody tells you that it is a day in, day out, emotional roller coaster, mental roller coaster. Because just as you were just saying, it literally is sometimes hour by hour or minute by minute. Okay. I didn't really like what I just did there. So I'm going to go back and talk to her about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wish I would have remembered to say this. So I have to remember to bring that up. It's nonstop, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And right. And um, yeah. And kids in the adolescent and teen years, you know, obviously because of all the hormones are very moody. And I tell parents, this is a stage to get through. The moodiness is not really a reflection on you and your parenting. This is where they are. And you can even explain to the kids, hey, you're going to go through some changes or even have the doctor explain to them, you're going to go through some changes. You may feel very moody. You may feel this. You may feel intense feelings. This is normal. Everybody goes through this. You will get through this. If you have any questions or concerns, you can ask me. We can go take talk to the doctor. That's very important. But yeah, it's it's a tough transition because the kids are really, in a sense, separating from the parents, which is tough. It's been, it was tough. It's been tough for me too. And um, they're also there's just a change in behavior, but that's developmentally normal. And I tell parents it is often think of it as a stage to get through. And on the other side, you're gonna have this uh, emotionally healthy adult, right? Um, that you could have is healthy communication with. But yeah, it's, it's good to remember that when the days where we're very stressed, like this is a lot, like you said, this is a long haul project, okay? And not every day is gonna be perfect. It is impossible for people to live together and not be irritated with each other once in a while. It's impossible. Just accept it, take a break, take some quiet time if you need and come back and regroup later. All of that is okay. It does not mean you are a bad parent if you're doing that. Or that you're a bad child because you know. Absolutely. I have literally said that to my kids. We are five people living under one roof. We're not always going to get along and that's okay. Yep. It's okay. We want to get along. We want to treat each other respectfully. You know, that brings me back. I wrote down the word respect. Um, For me, I feel like respect can have a lot of different meanings and needs to be approached sometimes with kid gloves. And what I mean by that is I think there's the authoritarian, you know, style of parenting. I am the parent. You will respect me. You will. Right. And in that it's, you will do as I say, because I am the parent. right? Right. But then there's the respect of 
respecting their opinion, respecting their privacy, respectful communication. How do you, what are your thoughts on navigating the thought of respect or how do you approach respect within the relationship? And is it different with parents and young children, parents and adolescents, parents and young adults, or is it all the same? Oh, interesting question. So I do not ascribe to the kind of authoritarian parenting. It's probably pretty obvious uh, yeah. that you will do what I say because I'm the parent. I, I don't like that. I don't like to, um, I, I actually teach my kid to respectfully question authority, including my own <laughs> at yes. times. Um, so respect for me is, you know, first of all, it's treating other people with decency. So it's nice to hear please and thank you. And I model that for my kid to say please and thank you. I apologize unwarranted and he does the same because that's what I've modeled for him, right? Um, also, I think I, I've talked to parents who seem to think that they deserve respect because they're adults. I think respect is earned even in the parent-child relationship. So a child respects a parent when the child knows that their needs are important to the parent, that their needs are seen and heard by the parent, that they feel that they can communicate openly, respectfully with the parent, um, that the parent will have their back. The parent is the last bastion between the child and the outside world. So the parent needs to be defending the kid, right? They That the parent is a safe person, that the parent won't automatically believe adults over the child. That's a big one. It's a whole nother topic for conversation. Yes. The whole traditional school environment. Um, that the parent will not automatically believe the teacher over the child, that the parent will explore kind of what happened and get the child's take before taking any action, if any action is warranted. Things like that. So over time, you know, the child will come to respect the parent. And I think when I use respect here, I think I mean cooperate with the parent and respect the parent's wishes, needs, desires, right? Because of that relationship and because the parent has modeled that for the child. I see it more as a, a relationship of cooperation. We're a team, you know, we don't do, I don't tell you to do chores because I'm a big meanie. We all pitch in here to do help. I don't ever use chores as punishment. These are tasks we need to do to maintain the family unit and the household. Everybody pitches in. It is not a punishment. I don't use punishments anyway, but if I did, I would not assign chores as a punishment because I don't want there to be any uh, of that negative conditioning regarding chores, like as was the case when I was a kid. So um, that's, I think, in a nutshell, when I talk about respect, that's that's what I'm talking about. Beautiful. Beautifully said. I resonate with all of it. And, you know, again, I go back to with what you just said, I tell my kids, I've always told them five people live in this house. Five people will help take care of this house. Right. It doesn't just fall onto one person. And we did have rotating chores that they were assigned each week and that's life, right? I mean, we all have to pitch in, we all have to help out. And when they're responsible for upkeep, then they're more likely to, I'll use the word respect again, respect the home, respect, right. you know, if they know they're going to have to be the ones who are cleaning the kitchen, they're probably going to be more likely to scrape their dish into the garbage before they <laughs> toss it into the sink or the dishwasher. Right. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah I guess that absolutely. goes back to the beginning of natural consequence, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's just basic decency to pick up after yourselves, you know, dirty laundry, dirty dishes, things like that. That's just basic decency. Absolutely. Respect for self. Right. Exactly. I love what you do. I love who you are. I love what you you. stand for. Um, And before we close out, because I don't want the conversation to end, is there anything that you would like to offer to listeners? Absolutely. I am thrilled to offer a discount on um, all my astrology readings. So I do birth chart readings, parent child readings, family readings for multiple kids and, and parents and relationship readings. I'm happy to offer 50% off on those services. Um, I can send you the link for that. Very excited for that. I love talking to clients one-on-one and uh, that kind of interaction. So yeah, happy to do that. I also have written a couple books. One is on Gemini children. I'm a Gemini. The other is on Scorpio children. My son is a Scorpio. I cannot get away from these people because almost everyone in my family, including my husband, has strong Scorpio energy in their charts. So um, I also could offer uh, the first couple of chapters of my book, Your Scorpio Child, for free. I'll have a sign-up link for that. So happy to do that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And when you write Aries children or the Aries child, please let me know because I'll be the first in line to pre-order. Definitely. Will do. Oh my gosh. I totally need a reading for myself and my children. This is so cool. Such an amazing service. Maria, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your wisdom, your guidance. We all need Maria in our lives. Thank you very much, Pascal. Appreciate it. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I often feel like I am failing. I'm getting it wrong or I'm just so unsure about myself. I hope that you took all the nuggets of wisdom from Maria and are able to look at your own parenting and say, if I'm worried about failing, I'm probably doing a pretty great job. Parenting seems to be one of those things that we are never going to stop doing and we always want to continue to improve upon. If you would like to take Maria up on her offer for 50% off an astrology reading, you can click the link in show notes and use code HAPPINESS, all lowercase letters, HAPPINESS, to receive 50% off your astrology reading. Also, don't forget that you can get a sample of Maria's books by clicking the link in show notes. There is no dress rehearsal in life, and we're all doing the best we can with what we know. Keep showing up for yourself and your children, and as you go into your weekend, remember to keep moving forward on your path toward happiness, and always remember to go within. Good night. Thank you for being part of the Women Finding Clarity community and for making the Happiness Workshop podcast part of your week. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite listening platform and share the Happiness Workshop podcast with a friend. These are simple ways to help us get our show in the ears and on the minds of more listeners. 
We know that happiness is a workshop, so find more tools to guide you forward on your path to happiness at www.womenfindingclarity.com. A reminder to keep moving forward on your path to happiness and always remember to go within.